five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast in partnership with Kidney Care UK, sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore, and I am a stage four kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate, and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, related chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. My guest today from Sunderland, England, is clinical psychologist Dr. Claire Dickinson. Dr. Claire has provided psychological support for people living with long-term conditions for a number of years and more recently has started working with renal patients. Dr. Claire joins me today to talk about the topic of self-management. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior, the podcast. How are you doing today, Dr. Claire? I am doing really well. Thank you, Dee. How are you? I'm good. I'm really excited about our interview today. I'm Really looking forward to this subject, actually. Today, we're going to be talking about self-management. And so my first question is, what is self-management? I think that's such a good starting question, Dee, because quite often we use terms and we assume that everybody has the same understanding of the term of what we all do. And self-management is a term that we're seeing more and more in guidelines for long-term conditions. What it essentially boils down to is about sort of the individual taking an active role in healthcare. So really moving away from the more sort of traditional role of the passive patient, where it would have been the healthcare professionals who made decisions about treatment and diagnosis, to actually much more shared decision making, people being much more empowered, much more involved in, as I say, in their healthcare which really makes sense where you think that people live with their condition 24-7 and actually they might only get to see a healthcare professional for like, you know, a few minutes a month or something or a very short period of time. So you can understand where it comes from and why it is seen as very important and it's increasing in prominence. Absolutely. I mean, empowerment is something that I really feel strongly about. And when it comes to medical care, As a kidney warrior, it can feel that you've lost so much control over different aspects of your life. So anything that you can actually gain back choices and things like that, absolutely, I think is so important and helps with self-esteem and self-confidence and things like that. And I can clearly see how this would be in the context of CKD chronic kidney disease, something that would be really empowering for an individual? Very much so. So it is about, you know, choices that people make on a daily basis, you know, about what to eat, what exercise to take, medication, but also other decisions, you know, about making sure that they're living a life that feels meaningful for them and that their life doesn't just all revolve around dialysis or just about different types of treatment, but actually you know, what's key and important to them comes through and they feel like they are living a life. How much choice or control is possible for a kidney patient? 
I guess it's very much about it's going to vary for the individual isn't it and I think that's something that's quite key for self-management and it can be seen that some people can take to self-management quite easily and they can get on and do it and other people can really struggle and I think that's where I'd like to focus today on people who do struggle there's lots of different parts of self-management, but to be in a self, an effective self-manager, there's a, a big role of emotional management and there's big emotional and psychological consequences of having a lifelong condition such as chronic kidney disease, people dealing with frustration and fear and anxiety and depression. And that can really get in the way of self-management. So that's where I thought it would be really useful to talk about today. Because self-management is great when it goes well, but actually what do we do when people get a little bit stuck and people can get stuck or face difficulties at different times? For some people, it might be very much around the time of diagnosis. They might end a shock. They've been living their life and then something has come along unexpectedly. You know, they may feel very scared. For other people, they might adapt to that quite quickly and have great support around them. And then it might be further on down the line that something else, maybe not related to the condition, but impacts on their conditions. If we think about COVID and the pandemic in the last two and a half years that we've had, it could be people who have successfully self-managed their condition have really then found it really difficult. You know, a lot of the things that can help us with self-management, such as social support, taken away from a lot of people so it's thinking about when people might need a little bit of support and what that support might look like also self-management it's not a a one-off one-size-fits-all approach it's very much about different interventions and what works for Bob down the street might not work for Vera and so it's very much about people having sort of education and choice to try out what fits for them and having a bit of a toolkit approach so people can try something and say, yeah, that works for me. That fits into my lifestyle. That's how I want to live. And for other people, it might not be that. So it's very much about sort of giving people the knowledge, the skills and the confidence to try different interventions and seeing what works for them. Let's unpack that. You have people who self-manage really well and then some people who for whatever reason, might find that more difficult and may struggle to do so. For somebody who is struggling with self-management and finds it overwhelming, what would be the first step? Where would they start? It can just be even acknowledging to yourself that you find it overwhelming because people can sort of just expect that they should just have to get on with things. So I think even just saying to yourself that this is hard, And, you know, anybody would find it hard and then reaching out to what support do you find helpful? What's been helpful in the past? So for some people, it might be family and friends. It might be the GP. It might be staff at the renal unit for other people. It could be there's different services that might be able to help. So if somebody feels like anxiety or depression is the problem, it could be that Talking therapies would be very helpful for them. If someone's feeling really socially isolated, and as we talked about before, just felt maybe that they've lost their life, you know, that all their energy is going into managing this condition and they feel like they've lost them. Maybe sort of getting out into sort of joining some groups would help them. 
in which case there's a service called social prescribing that can really help people become integrated in the community and help manage their condition. And that really fits in well with self-management. So what is social prescribing? That is about helping people live a rich and meaningful life. And that might be different for different people. It's different services have different services commissioned, but it's usually people get referred to a link worker and the link worker gives people time and they're really focused on what matters to the individual and take a holistic approach to people's health and well-being. And they help connect people to community groups and statutory services for practical and emotional support. And that can be really hard, you know, for people to know what's out there. So to be able to speak to somebody who knows what's available locally can really be a changer. And they can quite often help people who might feel a little bit anxious about joining a group. Um, It can help people sort of become integrated and make those initial steps, which can be very hard when you're feeling low. So it's in a way like a doctor would prescribe medicine. A social prescriber would prescribe a social activity or something that the person is interested to do. Exactly. Although I guess it's sort of much more of that shared decision making. So they have sort of the expertise of about what's available locally, whereas you have the expertise in you and what you find interesting and what brings meaning and purpose to your life. And I think just even that conversation sometimes really be a game changer for a lot of people. What else would help somebody who is struggling? Well, I guess if we sort of look at the toolkit idea, there's a few things that people might want to try in their toolkit. So the first one is in terms of managing stress. And it's a little bit like we've already talked about that actually when you have a long-term condition, it can sort of consume your life. So a simple thing, just looking at your daily activities. So as psychologists who are very interested in well-being, we tend to say that this three sort of types of activities which are helpful to our well-being so activities that give us a sense of achievement activities that bring a sense of connection with others and activities that bring a sense of enjoyment we're normally really good at doing things that bring us a sense of achievement so that's normally you know going to work getting sort of jobs done in the house but all of our energy can go into that sense of achievement so if it's out of balance it can be really difficult so it's about trying to make sure that actually we do have times in our day where we get a sense of connection with others we're social beings so whether it's you know just smiling at somebody in the street when you go out or having a chat and a catch up with a close friend or checking in with neighbours just something that brings us with that sense of connection. And again, if we look at the last two and a half years, I think a lot of people found out that really suffered. And it can now sort of be trying to build those links up again, which can be quite difficult. So I think sometimes even just sitting down and thinking about how your time's been spent during the day can help. And and just thinking, you know, what did I do that gave me a sense of achievement? What did help me connect with others? Or finally, where has my sense of enjoyment been? And when you're living with a long-term condition, fun can be a thing that goes out of the window and everything sort of can be focused on 
particularly if people sort of have fatigue and you know and all of their energy is being directed into sort of all the essential things for and it can be really easy to say that actually I'm not going to do that tonight because I haven't got the energy but all for the long term it will bring our mood down so it is sometimes just thinking about what are small things that we can do that can bring us that sense of enjoyment and fun and how can we incorporate those into our lives and whether it's thinking about things that we used to do and we might have to adapt them so if somebody previously ran marathons and found that they, they could no longer do that it might be thinking about what did they enjoy about that and maybe they ran with others and it might be about going for a walk and then it might just be about getting outside and whether that is just a, a 10 minute gentle stroll around the street whether it's sitting and doing it a little bit of a jigsaw and maybe people find that they can't sit for that long but sort of doing a little bit reading if people find that their concentration's impacted and they can't read a book and they maybe just sort of glance through a magazine listening to music can be good So it's very much about just thinking about balance. Yeah, because getting that balance can be difficult when you've got the symptoms and after effects of having a chronic illness and of having chronic kidney disease. And when you're dealing with the after effects of dialysis and you're wiped out or if you're not on dialysis, dealing with the, you know, the brain fog and the tiredness and the exhaustion this, that and the other. And when you're putting so much energy into just getting through the day, then it might feel and it might seem stressful to even have to think about something else. So that in itself could be quite stressful. So, you know, what could you do to help with that stress? Again, it can be sort of just recognising stress and recognising how you feel stress. Is it that you identify that you tend to withdraw when you're stressed? Do you get irritable? Do you bite your nails? So, so recognising what are the signs for you? Recognising the triggers, what tends to be the triggers for you? And then putting in a moment of pause, of breathing, and sort of thinking about how we can respond to situations rather than reacting and we do we're human beings we very easily fall into habits and sometimes we will keep doing the same things that that haven't been successful but we'll keep trying them so sometimes it is just about doing that pause and taking a step back in psychology there's a thing that we call the helicopter view and just sometimes trying to sort of rise above a situation and seeing what the bigger picture is like So sometimes it's helpful to think about, will this still be an issue for me in a week's time? Will this still feel like an issue in six months' time? In 10 years' time, will this still be an issue? So it can be really thinking about, you know, how important is something? And also, do you have any control over it? Are you able to change it? And thinking about where you might want to direct your energy. Because if something's very unimportant, and you're also unlikely to change it, it's not really a very good use of your energy. So it's sort of thinking about, so stress tends to come from when our demands exceed our resources. So it's thinking about how we can balance that. What are the demands on us? And what are our resources? And where do we want to direct them most appropriately? 
so most helpfully. So it sounds like you're really focusing on what really is in your power to change and letting go of the things that aren't in your power to change. That's something I really try to do. It's like, you know, as a mother sometimes and, you know, having children and you've got stuff to do in the house and you might be exhausted and all you can think about is the hoovering needs to be done or this needs to be done. And, and it can be really stressful when you're exhausted. You're looking at the mess and you're thinking, well, actually, what's most important right now is I rest and that yeah. can wait. But you then feel guilty because you haven't done it. And, you, you know, so, yeah, I can see what you mean. It's like, OK, the most important thing I need to do. This is just an example, guys. But the most important thing that I need to do right now is rest. And then afterwards, yeah, I can do the hoovering. So is it that kind yeah. of thing? It's very much that kind of thing. So when you gave that example, it made me really think of self-compassion and how we really need to be kind to ourselves. So that's something else that I would put in the toolkit for people because it's amazing about how critical we can be to ourselves. So quite often if we were talking to our best friend and she was, you know, finding it difficult with the school holidays and, you know, she was trying to keep the kids entertained. She was trying to keep on top of the housework. She was trying to live within a budget. She's trying to manage her own health condition. She doesn't have a lot of energy. She might be in a lot of pain. We would generally tend to say, look, rest. We need to keep you well. But for ourselves, we can be really critical and we can go, God, what a failure you are, you know, what sort of mother are you? Look at the kids, they're fighting and they're not doing this. And when we look on Facebook, everybody else's children look like they're in a swimming pool having a great time. And and it might bring a great sense of loss that actually we're not able to do that with our children at the moment. But actually, it is about thinking about how we would respond to somebody else. And self-compassion as a term, sometimes people can really struggle with it. And it can sound quite hippie-ish and, you know, a little bit. One thing that people quite often struggle with is that it can sound like self-pity. And people can be really scared that if they show compassion to themselves, that they can go down a slippery slope and it can just become self-pity. But a researcher who works in this area, Kristen Neff, who's published a lot, distinguishes self-pity from self-compassion because self-pity isolates us and it tells us we're the only ones who feel like this, where self-compassion, a key part of it, is common humanity. And it says to be human is to suffer and we will all suffer at different times in our lives. And life is hard and it's okay to find things hard and it can unite us rather than isolate us. So there can be lots of barriers self-compassion but yeah you also mentioned guilt guilt can be really hard that's a really important distinction that you made between self-compassion and self-pity because I think it's really easy to slip into self-pity but to know that actually self-compassion is number one being kind to yourself but also recognizing that There's other people in the same boat. That's really, really powerful. And, you know, thank you for sharing that, because sometimes you can put yourself in this isolated state where you think 
I'm the only one going through it, this, that and the other. And I think yeah. that's why it's so important to share kidney warrior stories because people can hear actually, you know, so-and-so has been through this and I'm going through it as well. And this is how they've coped with it or this is how they've overcome it. So, yeah, I'm loving it. Self-compassion all the way. Yeah. And I think what you've said is totally right. And peer support is a vital part of self-management as well. You know, it, it's been recognised that actually there's so much value from bringing people together and the collective voice that people can have and feeling united. And as you say, not feeling alone, because once we do start to feel low in mood, low mood will tell us to isolate from ourselves. Quite often people will say that they'll feel like a burden to their family. They don't want to share how they feel. If, you know, low mood, uh, they might tell them that they should be over this, they should be able to cope with this now. And actually, it removes them further away. We can also sometimes have the sort of perception that self-compassion is a soft option, that it's easy. But actually, it's really difficult and it can take courage to have self-compassion. When we're very critical of ourselves, that leads us to avoid things which are difficult. You know, if you've been somebody who was really into exercise and actually you're no longer able to exercise in the same way, it can be really difficult to face up to that loss. And it may be that you sort of withdraw. But actually, self-compassion would encourage you to have the courage to exercise as you can now but also to acknowledge that it's been difficult to lose something and to lose a part of you. So it's not a soft option. Quite often, it does require a lot of mental and emotional strength. And it does help us to face up to what we fear a lot in life and, and to tolerate pain. And that is one thing that does come with long-term conditions and kidney disease, pain and all of its different guises. So. So it's something that really helps us deal with that. We can also sometimes feel weak for self-compassion. And sometimes it's just helpful to have a little bit of time to think about it because we can have double standards because we tend to be very compassionate to other people. And if we think about what we'd say to our best friend, but when it comes to ourselves, we can't feel like, well, that would be weak and I should just be able to get on with it. But it's a bit sometimes just recognising that actually I wouldn't say that to somebody else. And another analogy sometimes that can be helpful is thinking about actually self-compassion is important because it enables us to take care of ourselves, take care of ourselves now, but also in the future. And that's important, particularly if we want to take care of other people around us, because it's a bit like, you know, the analogy of being on an aeroplane and the oxygen masks drop down. And they always say, put your own on before you put on anybody else's. And you always think, oh, I'll put the children's on. But if you're unconscious, you can't help anybody else. So it is about actually thinking about the value of self-compassion and thinking actually it is important to you and it is important to look after yourself. And actually, why would we have the double standards? Do you know? And as I say, it tends to be a human thing. We nearly all do it so sometimes just tuning into our inner critic sometimes you know people will call it a bully because some of the things that we can say to ourselves are really harsh and it can sort of lead to that downward spiral where just being able to respond compassionately to ourselves can actually sort of have the sort of virtuous circle effect that actually 
we make a little change, we can see an improvement and, and it enables us to sort of go forward and make the changes we want in our life. Do you think things like positive affirmations help with being compassionate towards yourself? Yeah, people can find it in different ways. So normally it's about recognising the pain and responding to it. So sometimes people say, well, just think positive. And that sort of doesn't quite work normally because that normally indicates that we have some level of control over our thoughts where actually we'll have hundreds and thousands of thoughts during the day. And if we try to control them, it becomes really difficult and it can stop us from living our life. We quite often say it's a bit like having a beach ball underwater. So you can keep it down, but eventually your arms are going to get tired. So if you're trying to stop negative thoughts and the negative thoughts are the beach ball underwater, eventually you're going to have to let go. Quite often that can be at bedtime for people. Do you know they might keep themselves busy all day so they don't have to think about things? Go to bed and all the thoughts come boom, 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 and then people can't sleep. So So it's not as simple as just think positive. It's about actually realising what our thoughts are, realising our pain, acknowledging it and responding compassionately to ourselves. So rather than, you know, I should just get on with it. It's a bit like, actually, this is hard. Anybody would find it hard. This is what unites me to other people. Things are difficult now, but I'm going to try and see how I get on or I've made small changes. When I say positive affirmations, I mean like when you say things over yourself. So, you know, I'm beautiful or I'm strong or, you know, I'm confident. Not so much thinking positive. I think it's very dismissive when if you're suffering and going through something, someone comes along and like the kind of smile, it might never happen kind of comment or just think positive. I really think it's so. So patronising and condescending if someone comes up to you and is like, just think positive. So I absolutely think it's so much more than that. But what I meant was, as I said, you know, saying something out loud that is positive about yourself. Do you think that that would help build that self-compassion? Yep, I do. Because there's a thing, again, that might go into the, the kit box which is called sort of gratitude. And, and some people do gratitude journaling, which is just, you know, at some point during the day, some people just like to sit down and write down five things that they're grateful for. So it might be, do you know, thinking that actually I really like my hair today or I really enjoyed seeing such and such today. And because our minds do have a negativity bias, so 10 really good things can happen to you during the day. And one bad thing, and we will, you're not in, yep, we're going to focus on the negative. So sometimes it just helps to actually realize there are some good things and positive things as well. So again, it's just that balance. We're not trying to deny the negative. We're not trying to say that we should just get on with it. And I know that's not what you meant with the positive affirmations, but yeah, I'm guessing your positive affirmations can just help balance the inner critic. Do you know? So we hear that bully saying, oh, we haven't done enough. Look at all those dishes in the sink. You haven't done those. Just saying, actually, look, I'm really beautiful. Do you know? Actually, I've managed to do this today. Just can really help. And again, it's quite often about balance and finding balance. And everybody's balance is going to be different. 
but yeah sometimes just deliberately sort of looking at something positive or something that we're grateful for can help so we've covered so many important points there that i think can really help somebody who is struggling in terms of their self-management if we do a quick summary of what we've talked about just to remind everyone listening how they can be compassionate to themselves and also know what's out there in terms of support. So I guess if we sort of go back to that toolkit idea, some things that I think might be helpful that we've talked about is in terms of managing stress, people might find it helpful just to look at the balance that they have in their daily activities, making sure that they have a sense of achievement, connection to others and a sense of enjoyment. It might help people also to think about what it is that's making them stressed. Are there any triggers and are these things important and do they have control over them? In terms of sort of managing mood and and difficult emotions, we've said self-compassion is really important. So sometimes just tuning in to that inner critic and seeing what it's saying to you and maybe finding something like gratitude journaling where people actually do sort of try to balance some of the more negative aspects of life with by just spending a little bit of time each day thinking about things which have happened that they're pleased about things that which have brought them a sense of joy and just trying to alter that balance so that we realize that there are tough things in the world but actually there are also some good things in our lives in terms of Managing worries, it's quite often helpful for people to look at what is within their control and what isn't within their control. And as you said, trying to let go of stuff which isn't within your control. And sometimes that is really difficult. But sometimes even just acknowledging that actually that is difficult can help. But thinking actually there's nothing I can do about that. Living in line with your values is something that we haven't talked about explicitly, but it's been sort of a thread all the way through, do you know, about people living a rich and meaningful life. So some people might like to think about actually what makes me me, what's important to me. And if people are really struggling at the moment, they might like to think back to a different time in their life where actually there was something that they really enjoyed and brought a lot of meaning to their life and think about what is it about that activity or that situation that did make their life rich and meaningful and are the elements that can be adapted now to ensure that they are living in a life in line with their values so that might be about being loving being caring being supportive and making sure that actually we can find different ways of doing that and realizing that actually although we're talking about self-management the point I sort of really wanted to make was actually you don't have to do it all alone. Social support is really important. Those people who have social network around them actually tend to live longer and they tend to be happier and they can usually manage their condition better. So it is about thinking about who are those people who bring joy to your life and letting your friends and family in if you trust them and letting them know what you find difficult. Keeping communication open and talking about things even when things are difficult it could be more important to talk about that sort of having the the support of your healthcare team when you are struggling again as human beings we can tend to avoid things so people might try to avoid appointments if they think that they haven't done things but actually turning up and saying look this is hard at the moment what support is out there 
necessarily that support might come from renal unit staff, it might come from the GP, it might come from talk and therapy services, or it might come from a service such as social prescribing. And it can be really confusing to find out what's out there. So sometimes just letting somebody know can be helpful. Having the peer support, listening to podcasts, finding out different experiences of kidney disease, what's out there, what have other people found helpful, knowing when other people have struggled. And actually, we will all struggle at different times of our life. And actually, it's okay to struggle and it's okay to find it hard. And it is, and it's about actually, can other people sort of help you? Do you have a final word of encouragement for someone who's listening who may be struggling? I think it's that things can change. And sometimes that can feel really difficult to think about when we're feeling low in mood and thinking that we're always going to feel this way. But sometimes very small changes can sort of quickly lead to other changes and other successes. And it's thinking about what's important to you and trying to make those first steps. And those first steps might be about acknowledging to yourself about how hard things are, about letting other people know and letting other people in. And as I say, being kind to yourself as well. Thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing information about a subject that really is important because I really think it's important for people who are struggling to know that they're not alone. So thank you for sharing information that can give someone out there hope and tools to help them through a difficult situation. So thank you so much. Thank you, Dean. I think what you're doing is really important. And I think it's one thing to hear it from a psychologist, but I think it's very different to hear it from somebody in a similar position. I think that's vitally important. Oh, thank well, you. Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast. And please do tell a friend. New episodes of this podcast are released every other Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kitty Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope and love.